Some of you are a lot taller than me, so I guess to you I'm little. <laughs> you little pastor, you're so funny. Anyway, if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. Listen, we've covered a lot of ground through the Sermon on the Mount. We've covered it quickly. Uh, I've done that partially just to not exhaust you as we go through it, uh, but also because it would be futile for me to try to exhaust the text. Uh, There's so much here in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So as we're going through this last section of of chapter 7, it is my deepest prayer for you that you have been reading this on your own, that it have been uh, speaking to you Monday through Saturday instead of just waiting on Sundays to hear this. Um, This is the best sermon ever, and it's because Christ preached it. I'm not talking about the one you're about to hear from me. That is far less in comparison when we talk about uh, this scripture. And so we've covered a lot of things. Just to recap, we've covered blessings of the kingdom. We have covered uh, your role in building it. We've covered standards of the king. We've covered real religion and its requirements. So this is the close of his sermon. He has the intro, right? He has the middle and he has the end. And I think chapter 7 is the end, partially because, you know, it's the end, <laughs> but also because of the way that he closes it out. He makes it very clear that he is desirous of a response. And so that's my goal for us this morning. So we're going to see three very powerful illustrations before this morning is concluded that I hope to communicate to you uh, the very same message that our Lord is communicating to you in his text. And by the way, if there is any error, it is on behalf of me and not Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We praise you for our time that you've allowed us to gather together. We praise you for um, the holiday that helps us to remember our mothers as you have commanded us to, that we would speak to our sisters in Christ as if sisters and mothers, that we would talk to our brothers in Christ as if brothers and fathers that in the community of faith that makes up Christianity, that makes up Allegan Bible Church, that we would do a better job in honoring, serving, loving one another. We pray that because that is how you want it to be. That is what honors and glorifies your name and which points other people to you. And so we ask for that. We also ask, Lord, that as we come in contact with your word this morning, with all the other things that we have going on this week. We had the uh, baby shower here. We had Mother's Day breakfast here. But with all that, please quiet our hearts and our minds. Please focus our attention on you so that we might hear your closing words in chapter 7. We ask that so that you would be honored and glorified and so that we might be grown in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as he starts out his section here in Matthew 7, if you have opened there, uh, we're going to start with his first thing that he talks about in this section, which is really his attitude toward one another. Now, if you have an ESV, it probably says something like judgment in there or don't judge or something like that. Uh, But really what this is dealing with is our attitude towards one another. Uh, So I want to read this to you and then uh, go through this with you. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he makes a strange transition, in my opinion, maybe in yours too. And he says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, in this section, it's a very famous section of Scripture. Many Christians know it, and unfortunately, many non-Christians know it as well. And so when we talk to our, our friends or our family members or even one another, they will often say this phrase, right? Well, who are you to judge? Or doesn't the Bible says that you can't judge me? Or only God can judge me? Or judge not lest you be judged? You know, we, we quote this, we paraphrase this. Many people do this all the time. And I want to ask you, is that a right understanding of the Scripture? That's the question that I have for you, and the answer that I'm going to give you is no. This is not a right understanding of this. What Jesus meant when he says this is not that we should be blind idiots who do not see anything around us and who call evil good and good evil, but rather that we would have discernment. That is what he's getting at here. So yes, this is against judgment, but we need to define what judgment means. There is a difference between discernment and judgment. What Jesus is speaking of here is condemnation. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, talks about how we are to deal with sin inside the context of church culture, of church life. There's a very famous section in there, and we'll get to it when we get to chapter 18. So just to gloss over it quickly, that's where we get things like church discipline from, which many people, I don't think, like any kind of discipline, right? Most of us don't like getting spanked. Most of us don't like getting traffic tickets. Most of us don't like having to take out the garbage or whatever else that it is that is part of your routine that your spouse will gently remind you of when you forget, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that we all need to be discipled. We all need to have discernment. We all need to have people speak into our lives. And so Matthew 18, when we get there, is going to talk about church discipline. But what Jesus is talking about here is not condemnation, but discernment. Discernment is a fancy Christian word. It just means being able to wisely assess something truthfully and under the inspection of God's word, I guess, is the way that I would just make up that definition right now that wasn't written in my notes. So if that doesn't make sense, fine. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 5.5 5 and 1 John 4.1 talks about delivering a sinner who is unrepentant over to Satan so that Satan can deal with him. And then also in 1 John 4.1, it talks about testing of spirits. This is where this, uh, another Christian kind of context of being Bereans so you might hear somebody in this church say to you that we should be Bereans. What they're referring to is a group of people in the early church that would not just take whatever the pastor says, but would actually read scriptures and test what was being said from the pulpit to make sure it lines up with God's word. This is what we are talking about in 1 John 4.1. But how does this apply to you? Well, we must have the difference between discernment and condemnation. We must understand the difference between judgment of somebody's soul and eternal state versus the ability to rightly say, well, this is wrong according to God's word. And unfortunately, brother or sister, pastor, you are a perpetrator of whatever this might be. 
And so Galatians 6.1 talks about it this way. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so what transgression? Any transgression, right? Meaning not just the big ones, meaning even the respectable sins. What's a respectable sin? Oh, you know it when you see it, right? The overeating, the binge-watching Netflix, spending too much time on Facebook or TikTok or, I don't know, Snap, Face, whatever. I don't know, okay? I know what they're called. That was just for you. Anyway, so brothers, if anyone, brother or sister, doesn't matter if they're elder or deacon or lay person in the church or a child or a grandparent, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, now who has to restore them? The spiritual person. This goes exactly to what Jesus is saying here. You've got this giant beam, the text says, this giant log. I don't know why, but my mind immediately goes to um, Scottish guys. Are you familiar with what this is? Not Scottish guys in general, for any of you Scots out there, sorry. But I, I don't even know what this is called, so you're going to have to help me with this. But when the Scottish guys have this beam, right, and they, like, they hoist it, you know, and they like, throw it. What's this called? A caper tossing, right? which is probably the most manly thing like I've ever seen, probably. So if, if you're Scottish, then add a boy, right? But, but that's the log that Jesus is talking about in the text. How ridiculous to not see that, but be worried about the speck of sawdust in somebody else's. And so what Jesus is talking about here is this in Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What this is saying in Galatians 6.1 is we are actually called to rebuke one another, hold one another accountable, encourage, exhort one another. But it also says those who are spiritual and in a spirit of gentleness. And if they're caught in a transgression... And then he also goes on, Paul does in this section, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So he's absolutely echoing what Jesus says in the text when he says, listen, you're pronouncing these judgments. And he's talking, yes, to the Pharisees and the scribes and those people who he's talking to, but he is equally talking to us, isn't he, brother and sister? Think of just your week that you've had. And I'm sure we all need to repent from this. Judge not that you be not judged. Condemn not, that you be not condemned. Not just blindly go through life, not calling things what they are. If it's wicked according to God's word, it's wicked according to God's word. If it's sin according to his standards, it is sin according to his standard. So we're not talking about painting over or whitewashing things. What we're talking about here is we can recognize that and not then still in our own heart and mind say, and they deserve hell, but I don't. Do you see the dichotomy here? So there is a very clear scriptural difference, and what Jesus is talking about here is discernment and condemnation. We are called to be a discerning people. So he goes on again in this section. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your eye? But then he, he finishes with this in five. You hypocrite, First, take the log out of your own eye. So first, deal with your own sin issues. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, okay, so then 
at what point do I actually have the right to call out my brother or sister? Well, if you're asking that, one, you still need to deal with the sin of pride because you shouldn't be asking that question quite yet. And then two, the answer would be that there is clear reference for that if we continue on and we'll get there in Matthew 18. So I just come back, I guess. Come back, Matthew 18, and we'll talk about it, right? But he also makes an assumption in verse 5. Do you see it? Verse 5, he makes this assumption. He says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then what? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He does not condone the speck. He says you have to do the right things in the right order, though, and you have to remove this giant plank of a board out of your own eye first, and then you will actually have the clarity of sight to actually be able to help your brother or sister. And so he makes the assumption that that speck is still wrong. He also makes the assumption that once we can see clearly, it is our duty to then go back and help. And so, friend, if you yourself has been a perpetrator of misusing Scripture where you tell somebody, hey, who are you to judge me? Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. You're absolutely right. Only God can judge you. But that doesn't mean that we can't be discerning for one another. Matthew 18, again, that same section, after we deal with uh, accountability and church discipline and the like, there is a parable of the unforgiven servant. You know this. There's this one guy who owes the king, like, I don't know, a bedillion dollars or whatever, and the king's like, hey, man, we'll sweep it, okay? Just forget about it. And he walks out of there, and he talks to the other guy who owes him, like, you know, a McDonald's chicken sandwich, and he starts choking the guy out because he doesn't pay him up for his chicken sandwich, The king hears about it and throws him in jail, right? That is condemnation. Not giving the same kind of forgiveness that we ourselves have received. James 4, 11 and 12, Romans 2, 1. Tell us absolutely, when you say that only God can judge you, you're right. James says there is only one lawgiver and judge, and that is God. Romans 2, 1 also warns us, though, that with the same way that we judge others, we will also be judged, which Jesus just told us. And then he makes this change. And this is where it kind of gets weird because this is also where discernment comes in. He makes this weird shift. He says, basically, don't... Well, I'll just read it and then I'll paraphrase it. Don't give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, one of my favorite passages in Scripture And I'm going to read it to you right now, and you'll understand why I like it, if you know me. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5 says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest lest you be like him yourself. 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so I love this because I'm always like, well, which is it, God? (laughs) You know, what is it? Well, this is what Jesus is talking about here. He says, listen, if you have the wisdom of Scripture... And you're trying to give it to people. Hopefully you're trying to give it to them for their own good, right? Don't be like a hypocrite and a Pharisee that's just giving them God's word so that you can judge them and hold them accountable to standards that you yourself are not keeping, and that's the log spec principle. But he also says we must be discerning. Excuse me. I don't usually eat breakfast, so now you're welcome. (laughs) On Sundays, especially, for that reason. We need to be discerning in who we give God's wisdom to and when we deliver it. Think of the foolishness. I know some of you guys are farmers. Just show of hands, just out of curiosity. 
How many of you guys have actually seen like an actual pig sty? I'm not talking like porky pig, Donald Duck style. I'm talking real pig sty. Any of you guys? Most of you? At least a lot of you? So here's the deal. If you haven't seen that, you can visualize it in your own mind. Think of how foolish it would be to go to some fancy jewelry store, pay some odd amount of money for pearls, real pearls, not the man-made ones, right? We're going to get the real stuff, right, ladies? Anyway, and you take a handful of those, and you go out to your pig pen, and you just kind of throw them out there on the ground. What an absolute, utter waste. Obviously, the pigs do not appreciate them. They see them fit for nothing else other than to walk on them as they're doing whatever else that they're doing. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He says, we must have discernment not only to understand the difference between actually pronouncing judgment and just recognizing wickedness, but we also must have the discernment in the when, why, who, how to share that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16, he says something very similar, Paul does, as he says, and we impart this in words, not by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And he explains why this is. Why, why do we give spiritual things to spiritual people? He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There's that word, discernment. And so what Jesus and what Paul and what I am telling us here today is that simply this, there is a huge difference between judgment and discernment. There is a world out there that tries to tell us that any discernment equals judgment, and Scripture is very clear, that is not the case. But we do have a duty, not only to the world out there, but to one another, to know the difference and to practice the difference between condemnation and discernment. And we are commanded then to be discerning to one another. And so do not be ashamed, do not be fooled, do not be deceived in thinking that the world out there who is not saved, who does not know Christ, when we give them these pearls of truth, these words of wisdom, Proverbs 26, 4 through 5 now. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So when you Facebook argue, please stop, Christians, right? Please stop it. Because when you answer a fool according to his folly, then you are like him. So instead, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he, lest he not be wise in his own eyes. So what this means is, is to answer them in accordance to their own foolishness. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Save your pearls for those who will actually value them. And by the way, don't tweet this out and say, local pastor calls unsaved people swine. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm actually saying is this. This is a question for us inside the church. Are you rebukable? Or are you so prideful that you think that everybody else has things going on but not you? That's one failure of this. The second thing is this. Are you rebuke-able? Do you see? I know, same thing. Play on words. Wait for it, right? We're getting there. Are you able to even rebuke people? 
Or are you so worldly minded that you're unable to discern things spiritually? Are you a part of the body to help, to heal? Or are you a part of the disease? So the question is, is are you rebukeable? And so Jesus moves on very wisely, of course, from our interactions with one another to our interactions and our attitude toward God. Now, you could call this ask and receive. You could call it living by faith. You could call it any of those things. I don't know what heading your scriptures, your copy has on it. I use the ESV. I'm not even sure what that has on it because I wrote my own here. Uh, But this is your attitude towards God, which I would distill into one simple word of faith. Here's what he says. In 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I stole this term from a commentary, so I can't tell you which one. But what they said in that was, this is beggar's wisdom. And I said, oh, i got to say that. You know what this means by beggar's wisdom? A beggar understands that the first time he might get turned down, but if he keeps going from house to house, from street corner to street corner, if he sits long enough and holds the sign long enough, somebody's going to throw a coin into his hat. That's beggar's wisdom. I think in our American view of instant gratification, we have lost beggar's wisdom. And I don't know about you, but there is a small place in my heart when I read this scripture, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, ask and it will be opened. My heart says, no, it won't. And if you're honest, so does yours, at least in some area. There's some area in your life where you read this text and you say in your heart, nah. But this is beggar's wisdom. Beggars understand they have nothing to lose. Beggars understand they have nothing to give. Beggars understand they have nothing left. Beggars understand that all they have to do is continue to ask and eventually it's going to happen. That's the wisdom of beggars. You've heard sermons on this if you've been in church long enough. You've heard that this is present tense, meaning persistent action. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep doing those things. These people, when we hear these sermons, we hear them often out of context. And these people just got done with chapter 6 where Jesus taught them how to pray. It says, don't continue to use all these words over and over again like the Gentiles do. Pray then in this way, God our Father who's in heaven. And yet here he says, ask continuously. You know, man's essential sinfulness is assumed as Jesus talks about this. He compares, he says, if you who are evil know how to give your child something good, why in the world would you doubt God's goodness? If you who are wicked Give your child a fish instead of a serpent. 
and bread instead of a stone. Now let me ask you another question, parents. How often is it that your kids ask for candy and you end up giving them not candy? Like every second until they're old enough to buy their own candy, I guess? And then you still have to go in their room at night and eat it yourself? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but my point is this. Some of you, that really hit home for, I guess. So here's the deal. My My point is this. We so often, in the small parts of our heart, we look at this and we do say, you know, not for me, God. I've been asking for a long time, or I've been seeking, and you haven't been answering the way that I want you to answer. And for some of you who are broken and who are hurting and who have been felt that burn, I, I don't want to belittle that, but at the same time, I also want to say, but if, but if you know better than to give your child candy all the time, every time they ask for it, then is it possible, my friend, I mean, is it, is it just maybe a possibility that God is giving you something in response to your questioning and your knocking, and it just might not be exactly the thing that you're asking for? Might it be that he hasn't forgotten you utterly, but rather what it is is he is saying, no, you can't have the Snickers bar. Instead, I'm going to give you broccoli, and you may not like broccoli, but trust me, if all you eat is Snickers... You will die, and I know what's better for you, and so I'm going to give you what is nutritious. I'm going to give you what is better for you long-term, which we have to remember long-term is being made like Christ, being made to represent, to honor, to be holy, to be righteous, and sometimes Scripture uses that term of bringing us through a crucible and giving pain and pressure and heat and uncomfortability to bring us to a place where he actually says, you're evil and you know how to give good things. Look at what I'm about to make you. That is why in chapter 6, 25 through 34, he also says, therefore, if that's true, why are you anxious about things? Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or drink or any of that, because your Father who is in heaven knows that you need these things. And so then lastly, the last thing he talks about, oh, that's my question, thunder steel. Keep asking. We're going to move on. There's two ways. So this is the close of his sermon. He lays five through seven out. Basically, his sermon, I think, in my opinion, ends at verse 12, where he sums everything up. We refer to it as the golden rule, right? And then he's going to give examples. He's going to give three illustrations. And so as I go through these illustrations with you, I want to pose these two questions for you for these three illustrations of these two ways Did you follow me? These are the questions that I have for you. One, did your profession of faith in Christ cost you anything? Two, did your decision for Christ actually change your life? So the first illustration of these two ways is this. It is the gates. 
We see that very clearly in 13 and 14. He says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This gate is, in essence, in my mind, the start of our Christian faith. This is the... Yeah, I guess I can't come up with a better one. The starting blocks. And he lays out these two paths before us, and he says, pick then this day who you will serve. Will you serve yourself and your bellies and your lusts and your pocketbooks, or will you serve me? And as we saw by the little video that we watched, the wide gate looks appealing to us. Let none of us here lie and tell us that it does not. For in the start of our walk, the narrow, restrictive gate does not seem appealing. And yet he tells us that this is the very difference between life and death. Now, the way of life is narrow, lonely, costly. We can walk on the broad way and keep our baggage, our sin, our worldliness. But if we enter the narrow way, we must give up those things. See, many people who trust Jesus never leave that broad way. They still keep those same appetites and associations They have an easy Christianity that makes no demands on them. Yet Jesus says right here in this text that the narrow way is hard. And by the way, these two roads, we cannot walk more than one, and they go in absolute opposite directions of one another. And so if you think of these gates as the start of our life in Christ, then maybe you think of this next section, the trees, in verse 15 through 20, as the fruit, the growth of this Christian life. You have the gate that is the beginning of this. You have the trees that represent the growth in our walk with Christ. He tells us in 15 through 23, I know this is a section, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You recognize them by their fruits, or you will recognize them by the fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, he goes on. This is the scripture that saved my soul. But we are going to go over it fairly quickly because this is, not the, this is not the main thrust of my message. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then 
will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. You know what saved my soul from this passage? I'll just tell you and then we'll move on. How many of you, how many of you have cast out demons? How many of you have prophesied? How many of you have done many or any mighty works in his name? And I thought, I'm going to hell for sure. So these trees represent growth. He says, you will know them by their fruits. And we instinctively know this to be absolutely true. You live in Michigan. When you go to the apple orchard, you pick apples. When you go to the blueberry patch, blueberries. When you go to the raspberry stand off the side of the road, raspberries. You would be disappointed and maybe confused if you went to the blueberry patch and there were apples on those. Or to the apple orchard and there were blueberries on the tree. If you were my wife, you'd be happy. You'd just sit down and make a fruit salad. But (laughs) but the fact of the matter is what he's saying here is the proof is in the pudding. It should be evident. Growth in our life is something that Christ assumes. He says there are going to be many professors. There are going to be many works. And all of these are going to be ravenous wolves. Think of all of the Old Testament works of magicians. And in the New Testament, works of the flesh are works of demons. People would prophesy, and it would be because they had a demonic spirit. Or Pharaoh's magicians would throw down sticks that would then eat other snakes. Whatever, magic stuff. So lastly, then, buildings. And in fact, the last part isn't necessarily the building, it's the end of the building. Because you know how we started this out, where people will say, only God can judge me? The fact of the matter is, you're absolutely right. Only God can judge you. And in fact, that statement, only God can judge me, should be more fearful than my judgment upon you or than your judgment upon me because God's judgments are perfect. His standard is perfect. His judgment is sure. His judgment is eternal. His judgment is infallible and unchangeable. And so the point of this last section from Christ is to say, listen, there's paths before you. Choose the one that you want. If you choose the path, understand that there is growth that should happen, that is required. And then thirdly, be aware that in the end there is judgment. So he started chapter 7 talking about how we shouldn't judge one another, and he ends by speaking that there will be judgment. He assumes that the rain is going to fall and the floods are going to come and the winds are going to blow. And he is speaking both eternally about the final judgment, but also, if we're just honest, today. So he's using this as an illustration. Like some of y'all are going through a storm right now. Some of you, the wind is busting on your house spiritually right now. Some of you, the rain is smacking against your house right now. And what Jesus says is, if it's not built on the rock, it's going to fall. It's going to crumble. And if it doesn't now, then where's it going to be at the end? 
And so judgment from God is assured. But here's where I want to end with you. He says, judgment is assured. If you miss everything else I say up until this point, then this is super important. Judgment is absolutely assured. But so is our salvation in Christ. Because that's what the text says. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you have built your house on the rock, bring on the rain. If you've built your house on the rock, bring on the wind, bring on the storm, because there is absolutely nothing that will make your house fall. That wind, yes, that's good. Thank you. It's a good place for an amen. And so I'll simply end in this way, I guess. Jesus says this whole thing, we began our sermon this way, I mean the fifth, I mean chapter five, we'll end the sermon this way. Jesus is able to give this sermon because he is Jesus. I want you to notice that in 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, not John Gruss, but Jesus, not everyone who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or do many, many works in your name? And there I will, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is a man born of a virgin who everyone thought was a bastard, who was just, I don't know, a carpenter's kid. And he's saying this. And he's reinterpreting this. And then at the end of it, no offense, carpenters, right? Sorry. You can't laugh at the end of this. And so when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so the title of today's message is this, Enter In. Enter In, because here's the thing. I'm not judging you. It's not my place to judge you, and by the way, it wouldn't be a bad thing if I judged you. You should probably want me to judge you instead of God, because I would be much more gracious, because I would hold you accountable to my standards, not his. But I'm not judging you. But God will. And the fact of the matter is, is if we're honest, all of us fall short. Scripture tells us that, myself included. So I'm not up here from a platform telling y'all what y'all need to do. I'm, I'm just going to speak to myself for a minute. You have no idea how much you need Christ. Your minds fail to comprehend the gravity of your sin before holy God. And how dare we stand in front of him and say, I've asked, I've knocked, I've done this, and you haven't delivered. You shut your mouth before holy God. And we deserve hell. And instead, he says, all you must do is trust and build on this foundation, the foundation of Christ, who with all authority on heaven and earth and by every knee will bow, has said, if you come to me, I am faithful and just to forgive you your trespasses. And so as our brother and sister said at the beginning of this, 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, Jew or Gentile alike, would believe in him would not perish, would not suffer judgment, but instead have life. And I hope that at the end of this sermon, if you have not read through five through seven, that you would go back and you, just like these people, would be astonished at his teachings, for he is teaching as one who had the authority not only to judge, but to save. And so my plea to you would be the same as his, which would say, today is the day, my friend. Will you please enter in? Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your son. We cannot begin to even fathom the depth of your glory. And so it is with confused human hearts that we come before you to both rejoice in your salvation, perhaps repent from our lack of faith and lack of submission to plead with you for the lives of those around us who may not know you, to be undone in rapture that you would deign to reveal yourself to such as us, and that in your word you have told us that we can be assured of two things, one, of your coming judgment, but also because of that your right now attainable this very day, already been bought salvation through Christ. We pray that you would keep us on the path which is narrow, keep us moving forward, fruitfully being ambassadors for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's sing a song of praise.